Permitting women in the workplace, the equipment they're expected to wear makes them feel less safe than if they had no equipment at all. We'll talk with a safety professional who's become an advocate for PPE, not only made for women, but made by women. Up next on this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Safety at work is more than freedom from physical injury. To be safe, you have to feel safe. Join us each week as we discuss psychologically healthy and safe work in the USA. Welcome to this week's Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I. David Daniels, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Each week, we seek to increase awareness of the importance of psychological health and safety by learning from the lived experiences, research, and expertise of our guests and advocating strategies to reduce harm and minimize vulnerability to psychosocial hazards in the American workplace. There is a standard, uh, ISO 45003. It's the international guidance on psychosocial hazard mitigation and how you create a psychologically healthy environment and organization. It's been out for a little over a year. And in that standard, it identifies inadequate equipment, availability, suitability, and reliability as a psychosocial hazard. OSHA 1910-132 goes on to require in the U.S. that PPE be provided, used, and maintained in a suitable and reliable condition. The word reliable means suitable or fit to be relied on. So the question is, how do you trust PPE that doesn't even fit? That's particularly an issue for those that don't meet the standard that the employer put in place when they decided to expose people to whatever the hazard was that requires the PPE is particularly an issue for women in the workforce in general and certainly in the trades. Uh, so if you want to create a psychologically healthy and safe environment, uh, you have to make sure that this issue is addressed as well. And my guest today uh, is a friend that I met some years ago as we, <laughs> as we were establishing the government and public sector division of the National Sa Safety Council. Her name is Amy Rusa. She had another name at the time, but she's uh, she's she's no longer single and available. She's uh, she's married now uh, to Dave, and she helped actually get the division up and running. And we remain in contact really over the last few years, trying to get in some good trouble, <laughs> particularly around issues uh, of the inadequacies that we both see in the occupational safety and health system around this country. And I'm just so honored to have uh, Amy here today. So welcome, Amy. What's going on with you? Hi, Dave. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Oh, sure. That was sure. like the best introduction ever. I'm really flattered. Oh, well, you know, it's it, it's real. I mean, as I've uh, gotten used to this whole podcasting thing, uh, I'm starting off with people that I kind of know. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I mean, I guess these, you know, these conversations and our conversation today, it'll go where it goes. But uh, I, I, I'm honestly interested in exposing the rest of the world to people that I know get this, you know, particularly here in the U.S., we're kind of limited on people. I mean, I haven't met them all. I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there, but in general, sometimes I'm not sure if we get it. So uh, let, let's get into the conversation. And I, I find that I'm going to, I and my, my listeners and, and viewers learn more about the guest from the guest. So who is Amy Rusa? Oh, I don't know how to answer that. Uh <laughs> Uh, I am a safety professional. I got 18 years now uh, building up my safety career, and I feel like I'm just now getting started after all these years. Um, and I'm an advocate for women in the trades. It's important to me um, to speak on the psychosocial hazards that the women are facing in the trades and not just the safety professional profession in general, but all trades out there. And I am the co-founder of the Iowa Women in Safety Conference, which is a conference I started four years ago with my friend Barbara. Um, uh, for women here in Iowa, we're 110 members strong community here in Iowa. And this year I launched the Safety Rack. 
<laughs> which okay. is um, I'm slowly building it. I'm slowly learning. It's slowly evolving. Um, but it is a resource for women out there in the trades and employers on what PPE is out there for women and how does it function and how will it fit the worker. And that's just part one of where I'm going to take this thing. You know this because you and I have so many conversations. Right, right. right. Well, uh, let's let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Yeah. Let's, so there are, so in the U.S., again, we don't have a regulation or anything like a lot of the other countries have yet anyway. Yeah, I know. Sure. And there's a lot, a lot of different views about psychological safety and all that type of thing. But what's what's your view of psychological health and safety? What does that mean to you as a safety professional? It means that we can come to work and do our job safely, both physically and mentally. Um, and then I can go home at the end of the day and know that I felt valued by my employer and that I'm going to go back to the same space where I can get that job done and not come across the hazards that I know I personally have come across in my career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. And so we have a long ways to go as a country to get there. Yes, yes. So uh, you kind of tipped it there because I, I was going to go there anyway. So um, would you would you care to share just in general some of the experiences that you had from a, you know, a psychological, psychosocial safety perspective? Yeah, I, you know, I've had some over the years, you know, I'm, I'm female, obviously, I've worked on construction sites, I've worked in general industry, I've had, you know, the misogyny, the sexual harassment way back in the day, all that. Um, unfortunately, as a woman, we probably can write a lot of that off and be like, oh yeah, you know, I encountered it, you know, I'm in the trades, what do you expect? But it's not okay. From a safety professional side, um, you know that recently I really experienced a breaking point on that psychological safety. And that was a few years back, I was with an employer and they were actually toting the whole psychological safety culture and, you know, zero incidents. And they had a very aggressive program when I came on board and I was supposed to be their regional manager. First day on the job, we fired our safety person. You're going to be doing his job along with your job. And that should have been the first red flag for me. Um, it wasn't. Um, the next sentence out of that conversation was, oh, by the way, the OSHA logs are due today. Can you get that done too? And I'm like, I've been here for like 25 minutes and there's like multiple mm -hmm. red flags, but you know, I'm a safety professional. What do we do? We, we try to hit the ground running and uh, very quickly it went from, you know, your standard 45, 50 hour work week to I'm getting up, going to work at 5 a.m. and I'm not shutting down my laptop until nine or 10. Mm -hmm. I'm not eating well. I'm not sleeping. I'm responding to emails from my third shift at 2 a.m. And fast forward about, was it four or five months into this job? I'm sitting at my office and I'm looking at my computer screen and it's going blurry on me and I can't figure out why I can't see. Mm. And so I get up, I make my way to my door and I open it up and I'm staring at it at the factory floor and I still cannot see it. Like it's getting worse. Uh, to the point where I freaked out the guys that I was staring at. And I didn't even know I was staring at them. So I make my way back to my laptop. I had a chat open with my director at the time who happened to be on site that day. And I'm like, I can't really see well. Don't know what's wrong. Think I'm going to go drive myself to the doctor. And I managed to get that pretty well out to him. And about 20 seconds later, he comes into my office and looks at me. And he goes, yeah, there might be something wrong with your brain, but I'm going to take you to the ER. So fast forward through a very interesting experience at the ER, it turned out to be uh, a visual migraine without pain, something I've never experienced in my life. And the doctor sat there and he goes, what kind of stress are you under right now? And I just bawled. And I remember him just looking at me. He's like, you're, you're lining yourself up for a lifetime of medications, a lifetime of health problems, possibly a stroke if you don't get your stress under control. And that moment, and 
I, I will acknowledge that that's probably a very small medical condition to have, but it was at that moment, the realization that my workplace had contributed to that and I allowed mm. it to happen as well. And so I went home that night or that day, um, laid in bed all day and I just slept. And the next day I went into work and I'm like, Amy's just going to work 40 hours for like the next two months. Mm. And that's it. Mm. And it was received well by some of my bosses and it was not received well by other bosses who were like, well, we have a lot of projects done. And my response was, you fired the safety guy of this factory and you expected me as the regional manager to take it over along with all my other duties. And I cannot do that and I won't. Mm -hmm. So that job ended up lasting like eight months. Um, after that wow. happened, I realized that was not an employer I wanted to be with. I realized they didn't value me. And I realized that I needed to start having more of an active conversation within my community of professionals about mental health in the workplace. And I think you and I had some candid conversations around yes. that time because I had called you and told you what happened and you're like, holy crap. <laughs> um, and so after that, I, I really have taken this, this mission on to really promote not a work-life balance, but boundary management. Mm. Um, and I am very much for that wherever I go now um, in both my personal life and my work life. Right. And with all the side things that I do, you know, I sit on boards, I'm doing the safety rack stuff. I'm planning a conference, um, but all that comes with balance now and right. boundaries. Right, right. Well, you know, some... <laughs> When we get into conversations of this nature, and particularly in uh, our rather male-dominant, misogynistic kind of way that we do things in the country, and I, I just I have to say that that's that's been my experience as well. Kind of, you know, being an ally, and and I, you know, I want to believe that uh, I'm I'm not just an ally for my sisters. I'm an accomplice because I'll get in the room <laughs> and get myself kind of you know, beat up with them, uh, but- It's good trouble. I, yeah, it is good, it's wonderful trouble. And, but but I, I wonder what the response is, because it's interesting to hear you talk about your experience. And I, I think there might be some people who say, well, you know, that happened because she's a girl, you know, her girls are weak and- Oh, <laughs> and well, I don't they don't know me then. Uh, yeah, they, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how, what conversation would you have, would you have with those who might, dismiss this as, you know, I know it was tough, but, you know, um, uh, that wouldn't happen to a man or if you're a little stronger. I mean, what do you, how do you respond to folks who have that kind of view? I have ran into people that have had that kind of view. I used to have that kind of view mm. and I would be, I would be a hypocrite sitting here and saying that I never had that, you know, just suck it up buttercup mentality that, oh, that's, you know, the way we get job done. Oh, I work in trades, you know, being uh, sexually harassed is just part of the culture and stuff like that. It's a load of crap at the end of the day, pardon my French. Uh, we, we've created a culture over decades here in the United States where we glorify that work ethic. I remember just recently seeing a tweet or an article or something with Elon Musk praising the fact that foreign workers at one of his factories were working until like 4 a.m. He called it mm. burning the, the 4 a.m. oil or something like that. Um, and I'm like, why are we glorifying that? It's mm. not correct. And here's what I figured out from my, my event, my personal experience. If I would have had a stroke or, you know, died, had a heart attack or something because of what happened at work, if I kept going, there would have been a funeral. And maybe if I'm lucky, somebody from work would have came and they would have gone up to my husband, who I'm, I absolutely love. I've been married for like three years now. And they would have, you know, patted him on the back or gave him a hug and said, oh, you know, she was a great woman. And then they would have gone back to work and posted my job right. for the next schmuck to come in and do the exact same work that I was going to be doing. Right. And they would be following that same process. And we're just spinning this wheel and we're going nowhere as a society because of this right it, it's not worth it at the end of the day you know i i'm my motto is work to live not live to work 
And we don't do that really well here in the United States. Right. Other countries do it really well. Right. Other employers, you know, keep that balance going. Other countries can log off and go on vacation for two weeks and mm. not ever look at their emails or work phones. But we don't because we've glorified it and it needs to stop. Right. Right. Yeah. A- absolutely. It's a, and it's, you know, it's bigger as you're sharing, it's bigger than the gender of the person. It's bigger than the industry that the person is. It is a cultural uh, issue that, that I believe we're going to have to do a better job of here in the, in the States because it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We're not getting the best out of people at all. No. As a matter of fact, we're creating the very same problems that we say from a safety perspective we're trying to solve. We're creating them. And, and, and again, we're creating them with the very people that we say we've hired, brought on board, put in place to monitor the safety of other people. So again, think about that, yeah. you know, that employer you talked about before. You, so you're going to take the regional safety expertise, basically killer, <laughs> you know, basically yeah. by the environment that you put the person in. And a lot of that, you know, I, I recall from and, and, and still have lots of conversations with folks in the public sector, you know, fire rescue services and such. And there are a lot of people out there who feel like they have to make up the fact that the employer, whether it be public or private, have not invested where they say it's important. They said safety was important, but then they don't give you the staff that you need and you go out and get yourself injured or killed. You've just made it worse. You certainly not made it better. Oh, there, you know, there's tons of employers. We've all encountered them that say they, you know, safety is a priority or safety is a value. It's great when you work that into your policy. It's great when you put that on the employment application and new employee orientation, but once you get everybody out to the factory floor or the construction site, it's not what the work culture is. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah and you're, so you're, you're, you're both in the private sector and an entrepreneur kind of at the same time at the moment, but I, I want to take us back for a second, back to our public sector days. Uh, what, what's, what's the difference? I mean, do you see a difference between what's going on in public and private? <sighs> Man, why did you not ask me that like three weeks ago? I just had this conversation with somebody and now I need to remember it. Yes, there is a difference. Um, I I think when you go from public sector to private sector, um, when when I was in government, um, and for those that are listening, I worked at the Department of Transportation, which is how I met David. Um, I got a call from him one day and he's like, hey, do you want to start this government public sector division from the NSC? And I'm like, sure. What do you need? I need you to be the secretary. (laughs) Okay, that's good. Uh, And then we got into a lot of good trouble, which was great. Um, Yes, there is. Like, obviously, when you're in public sector, eyes are on you, right? So the rules are a lot more stringent. You do have a lot more here in Iowa, like union uh, contract employees. So there's a little bit more check and balance there. Now, when I got over into private sector again, because I went from private to public, back to private, it I can tell you that they're more loose on the rules. Mm. You know, if you mm. have what I've noticed the most is larger companies is where I see more workplace culture issues. Mm. Like I, and I wonder if that's just because companies get too big. Mm. And they really, you know, the, the top CEO of the company truly believes that, you know, the, the safety culture that he wants and the psychological and health and safety part of that. But when you funnel it down to all the employees that they have, you're not actually achieving that, right? Mm. Amazon would be a great example of that. <laughs> mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I do see that. I think it's a little bit... It, and it probably is or isn't, depends on where you're at. When I was in public, my perception was it was a little bit better at the DOT that I worked at. Mm -hmm. Going back into private sector, you know, I saw there was a lot of loose rules, as Mm -hmm. I would call them. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I I haven't spent a lot of time in the private sector, but, and it's interesting that, you know, the OSH Act was written uh, based on Congress's ability to you know, regulate interstate commerce. Uh, it, the, the rules are written for the public sector, but or for the private sector, I should say. 
And a lot of the public sector kind of gets off, so to speak, because they're, you know, they're in a state that doesn't have a state plan or, you know, so I, I find that I even find the perceptions different because even you're talking about it, psychological health and safety is all about perception. It's all about perception because from the outside looking in, uh, you can look at an organization and go, it's got to be terrible in there. But you'll probably go there and find some people at various levels who say just the opposite. And guess what? Both are correct because it's about their perception. That person who's at the top of the organization who says it's going great for them. Yeah, it is. <laughs> for, yes. But that's not the point. The point is, are we addressing those levels of the organization who don't feel the same way, who, you know, that message never got to them. They've got that supervisor who doesn't take it serious. And that's really the question. Can our systems address that? Because it's great, you know, to fly the flag and say how great we are and look at our recordables and say everything's okay. But what do we do with that person who doesn't feel like it's working for them? And, and this this leads me to the question about, you know, this, this conference that you've established, uh, getting women together, and, you know, I, I did a, <laughs> I did a, there's a group I'm in here in the community, and we actually have conversations about race back and forth. And one of the things I said that, you know, I tend to say some things are a little provocative some days, <laughs> every now and then, uh, not everything about being segregated is bad. Not everything. There are sometimes when it's important to get together with a group of folks just like me to talk about things that I'm dealing with, because I think you'll relate. But it's also important that I be able to bridge the gap with people who are different. So in this case, you've gotten together with women talking about safety related items and issues. What's that been like and, and how does that, you know, how does that make you feel to have that group surrounding you? It, it feels amazing. And I did it out of a necessity. So at the time before I started it, I was working in kind of a consulting role and I was meeting all these incredible women around Iowa shooting them whatever information that I had for safety or finding them the right resources. And what I found for these women that were in safety was that the majority of them at the time were from like mom and pop shops where they were either in a dual role of HR and safety, or they were just starting out in safety without a background, which is, I can relate to. That's how I got started. That's how most of us get started. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, oh, we just need something, right? And so I'm at a conference one day and I'm bugging the conference director, David Hughes, good friend of mine. He, he probably doesn't mind the shout out at all because I do it all <laughs> the time. And I'm like, hey, how about giving me like one session so that the women can talk? And he's like, well, go talk to Barb, who was also a friend of mine at the time. And I think after 10 minutes of this conversation, we're like, you know what? Let's just do something standalone because we need to have as a group a broader discussion on what our needs are, what we need to have and achieve. And so that was the start of getting all the women together. And I, the first year we did it, we did it for free. The community college we do it at gave us all the space for free. I got the vendors to pay for lunch, had all the guest speakers lined up. It, it was a little bit chaos, but it worked out well because I, I really did have a good support system between Barbara and my director at the time, Tracy, and it ended up being bigger than what I thought. But the conversations we had were conversations that we were not having at a regular conference. Hmm. You know, um, example would be we had a speaker, one of our vendors came in and started talking about all the new PPE that was out there. And I'm sitting there in this room, listening to him talk. And I realized I made a mistake with him. <laughs> I put this really great guy, um, and I'll just say his first name, Andy. So if he's ever listening to this, because I haven't talked to him since, I'm so sorry, Andy. Um, Andy went up, started talking about everything. And then the hands started going up. Where's the women's PPE? Why can't we have something? And he did a really good job trying to defend his brand, the market, the thought process of the market and the manufacturers. But I realized there was a gap there. And I realized I was part of that gap, not feeling it. And that was kind of the start to growing the, the conference and evolving it to really meeting a specific need that one wasn't being met at other conferences, but getting a conversation going that needs to be had. And I think that's 
big part of why I started the safety rack recently is that conversation over the last four years just keeps growing. And then people start reaching out to me because when I did consulting, I also did safety sales. And they were like, you know, the vendors, you know how to market research this. Where's the FR pants for women? Where's the maternity wear Mm. for women? Where's the lightweight clothing for the menopausal women out there? Mm. And so I just started making it this mission to provide that segment of my profession with that information because it wasn't out there. Um, And big, big lesson learned. I did to anybody listening to this email Andy's boss and give him the biggest review, (laughs) very glowing. He handled it like a troop, but I've never seen him back. (laughs) So, so, so again, I don't know Andy, uh, but but honestly, I, I find it interesting that you know, uh, things like this will happen. And sometimes people will kind of recoil because it didn't go well, but it probably actually did go well because had it not happened in that way, everybody may be going along doing the same thing they were doing before. I mean, and, you know, I I think there are a lot of people out there. They don't, they don't necessarily mean to leave anybody out. They don't necessarily mean to, you know, uh, disparage anybody, but they're simply going along with the program. And when that PPE was designed, there was a bunch of dudes around the table who said, let's make some of these. And, and, I, and I find that a lot of these you know, issues around how do we make it safe for everybody? We make it safe for everybody by inviting them to the table. But uh, there was, <laughs> uh, back in the day, there was, uh, there was I, I heard someone say, if you don't get invited to the table, get yourself a folding chair or get a new table. <laughs> I just made a new one for myself. Screw it. The, the, there you go. And that, I don't have time to wait for somebody to offer me a seat at the table when I see something that needs to be done. Right. Right. We didn't wait. I mean, NSC gave us a seat at the table and we made the government public sector division. And I think doing that with you kind of gave me that, that encouragement and motivation and confidence I needed to do what I'm doing now. Right, right. So, so, so talk about how that experience with Iowa women and safety and, you know, the situation with Andy and such, how did that lead to the safety rack? Where's the connection there? Well, just over the last couple of years of developing the conference, I've been looking for more and more women's products, workwear and PPE, because it would make sense at a women's safety conference to have women's PPE display. And I just started emailing every vendor I could find and started having conversations. Where are you on your women's PPE line? What products do you have coming out? Will you be a sponsor of the event or a giveaway sponsor? And just started finally getting some of that stuff in. And then as I was at the conferences, I started listening to what a lot of the safety women were asking for in terms of what their needs were. I'm like, there's gotta be more out there. And there is, um, interesting enough, a lot of what I find is overseas material. We have Mm. some vendors here that are really good in the United States, more coming up, but a lot of the products that I'm also sourcing are from like Australia, Canada, the UK, Mm. where Mm. they've already been established for some time. Mm. Can't imagine why. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, And just wanting to make sure that women know you can find the PPE you need but they don't have time to go look for it. So, so there are those. So, so again, I, I, as we're having conversations, I hear the little voices in my ear and you hear them too, <laughs> that say, well, you know, um, you safety people talking about, you know, anything that isn't, you know, physically going to get me hurt. I'm not sure if I'm interested. So where's the safety issue associated with PPE that was made for guys that women are wearing? Where's the safety issue there? It doesn't fit. And if it doesn't fit, as I've experienced for 18 years of my life, when I've walked past a door, that safety vest that I might be wearing that's an extra large, because that's all the site bought was extra large safety vest, because, you know, your purchaser buys it and they get a bulk discount, uh, it'll catch on that doorknob and it'll send me jerking back. Um, Multiple times in my life, I've ended up with bruises on my ribs from hitting objects because I've gotten snagged back. Mm. And so there is several components here. When I'm wearing something that doesn't fit me correctly on a job site, I become a walking hazard, right? 
if it's longer pants because all I'm wearing are men's FR because I couldn't find women's FR, now they're hanging below my work boot, I'm going to have a slip trip fall issue, right? Mm. If I'm wearing that safety vest, I'm going to get caught on something. Or if I'm simply wearing a high-vis shirt that's a large and I'm a small woman, I'm consciously moving it around all day, knowing it doesn't fit me, pulling up my sleeves all day, or being handed gloves that I have to take off because I can't actually grip things. Mm -hmm. So it messes with you on a psychological standpoint because you're so focused on that, you can't be the awesome, badass, skill Mm -hmm. worker that you know you are. And then everybody's watching you and then you're Mm. consciously aware everybody's watching you. And there's that domino effect Mm. building up. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. Again, the connection between (laughs) something that you're required to do as an employer that you simply forget. You think people are forgetting that they're women don't necessarily think about it. I mean, honestly, what's your, how, how do we get, how did we get here? How did we get here? That's been the conversation I've been having a lot recently. So there's a couple parts here, right? The manufacturing side of this conversation is there's not really a big need out there, which I call BS on any day of the week. There are over, I think it's eight and a half million women in the trades. Wow. Okay. So normally they use this number as a percentage, right? They'll say, oh, 6% in welding, 7% in trucking, 11% in construction. Stop using it as percentage. We're not a percentage. Mm-hmm. We're people. Mm-hmm. So look at the number and the number is like 8.5 million women wow. growing. Wow. But they can't get into the trades if they don't, one, feel psychologically safe and have the proper fitting PPE mm-hmm. and you know have those opportunities to get in. So what I'm looking to doing is let's have that first part, proper fitting PPE that they need. The employer goes to their purchaser and say, we have three women on a job site of 400. They need PPE. Purchaser is just going to go, well, we have men's smaller unisex over there. No, they need to stop and actually go back, see which manufacturers they are working with and see what products they have. Mm-hmm. And if that manufacturer is saying, well, there's not a need for it because there's not enough women out there, baloney, there is. And if you actually look at the dollar amount that it takes to outfit somebody in proper PPE, the number's there for the manufacturer. They mm. want to tap that market, but they're not. The other part to that now is the employer part. That purchaser just goes back, well, can't find anything. Our supplier that we have a contract with just says there's nothing out there. So woe me, what can we do? You need to go look because that excuse should not be a valid excuse to use. Um you can get out there and you're going to have to source it more privately or directly from the manufacturer, right? But I need shoes and I can't find it on Granger or Fastenal or Airgas. Well, then I might have to go to Exena or Juno Jones websites and let the ladies buy direct. Mm. If I am a big construction company and I am starting to get more women in, but I don't know where to go on Granger and they don't seem to have what I need, then you need to go to Utility Pro Direct and buy in bulk. Mm. You just have to take a few extra steps. You just have to go out to your job site, ask the women what they need to be safe. And the biggest part of that is you have to listen to what is being told to you. Mm. Protect them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know I'm big on that one. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, again, you you know you make me think about my uh, my fire service days when and. Some of this is still going on uh, where folks will say, oh, you know, uh, we 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 just we we can't really afford to go out and spend money on, you know, particular people. And I I think that it's just the opposite, actually. If you want to recruit and retain the people that you say, so everybody's having the DE&I conversation and how about how important it is and blah, 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 blah until it comes down to actually spending the money that it takes to retain and keep that person safe. Yep. Uh, there was a study done. And again, I, I seem to recall this was a study done in the UK and one done in the U S in the fire rescue service that says that women's experience in fire rescue service, their careers are always shorter and their experiences are always not as good. And a lot of it has to do with the equipment and, you know, so, and, you know, so we're talking about women, 
but there are actually small frame males that this impacts the same way. I'm of the opinion that every single solitary person that you have should be measured and fitted for PPE. That investment on the front end is a lot cheaper than the investment or the outlay after they get hurt, after they get someone else hurt, after the equipment gets damaged. So it's it's really kind of prevention if you can do this on the front end and measure everybody. I mean, we I saw someone that you uh, that you had on social media. It was a, a guy, I think it was six, eight, six, nine, whatever, really, really big guy. They don't have things for him either. So this, you know, the work that you're doing is not just a benefit to women. It's a benefit to everybody if people think about it in that way. I remember uh, back when I was consulting, I was at a uh, like maintenance shop of some kind and they had this guy, he had to have been like six, five. He was a beast of a man. <laughs> and I was talking to a supervisor. I'm like, what do you need? You know, product wise, what can I help with? And he's like, well, if you can find some gloves for him, that'd be great. And I have a picture on my uh, LinkedIn of his hand next to my hand. <laughs> and I, I actually had to go to LinkedIn to try to source his glove. And it was a random manufacturer who actually made his size because a big customer of theirs had guys that they needed those gloves for. So I was able just through, you know, asking out there in the world of LinkedIn, hey, who knows where I can get this guy a pair of gloves? We went through 2X, 3X. I had vendors looking and saying, oh, 4X will fit him. I think it was a uh, 5XL wow. glove. Wow. And I remember taking those gloves to him after he had tried on all these other gloves. I never took him the 2XL. I knew they weren't. <laughs> and I remember he put them on because originally when I talked to him, he's like, you know, Amy, don't worry about it. You know, nobody can hardly ever find gloves for me. That's the way I've been working the last 25 years. He's mm. got scars on his hands. Mm. And I'm like, I got to find this glove. And I took him those gloves. And he lit up and he was so happy. I ended up having like two pairs on me. And about a week later, I get a call from his boss. He goes, how do I get a case of those in? Wow. And I'm like, I will get you the information. He goes, I want to get a case. I want to make sure they're on hand. I've never seen somebody take such good care of their gloves, but he's happier now. Mm. That was so important to his employer seeing that result that he was willing to spend, I think it was like $300 to get a case of gloves made. And there was like 20 or 30 pairs of these gloves in there for his employer or for his employee so that his employee could be happy. That little change had such a massive ripple effect. And PPE, when we have it properly fitting anybody, men, women, five, one to almost seven foot, like my friend is, it makes you feel valued. It mm. makes you feel confident. Mm. It makes you feel like you're part of the team and part of the culture. And that's everything that these CEOs and these leaders are talking about wanting to achieve in their culture. Well, there's one small thing you can do that's going to give you the biggest reward, biggest mm. return on investment. And you're not doing it because, oh, well, the manufacturer says they don't carry it. I can rattle off about 20 manufacturers now, and that list keeps growing in my inbox. You know, you know there I, I do find that there is this kind of zero-sum game perspective out there about a lot of really good things that we could do as humans. Mm. And when you bring it up, people will say, well, yeah, no. And there's this view, I think, by some, is that if we spend a little extra for that one person, somehow everybody else is going to lose. And again, I totally disagree with that. You showing that you'll invest a little bit for that person will actually convince everybody else will actually cause other people to feel like, well, I guess we do care about people around here. I guess. And, and why should any employee, just because they are taller, shorter, wider, smaller than the standard, whatever the standard was, why should they have to come to work year after year after year after year and simply convince himself, well, you know, uh, I have to do it different from everybody else and I might get hurt and that's okay. That to me just seems really wrong. This well, seems really wrong. Look at what the early like 1900s, didn't they base like jobs off of the number of people that were probably going to die? Yes. 
Wasn't that yes. like the Hoover Dam? They budgeted yes. in the number of people that they yes. were going to die building yes. the Hoover Dam. Yeah, with the Empire State Building, you know, every for years and years and years, they calculated for X number of floors up. Here's the number of employees that we're going to lose. Absolutely. Like, yeah. You actually calculated that, went home to your family and was like, oh, that's fine. And not mm. looked at your family like, I wouldn't want somebody calculating that my son or my daughter is going to be the one that dies when she gets on that job site. Right. So, so what, what, what advice or guidance would you give to, you know, executive leadership, CEO type people who um, they know, or at least they feel they're, they're listening to, and you're thinking there might be something we need to do and we don't really know where to start. What, what, how would you advise them on just where to start? Oh man, I'm going to have fun with this one. So I get that, you know, people in the C-suite, they're very, very busy people, right? I would challenge them to take not one, but like two days off. Go take whatever you have in your closet. Don't go out and buy anything. Go to your job site, go to your manufacturing floor and just put the PPE on that's already out there. And then go do the job of one of the most undervalued positions or undervalued employees and make sure you get the minorities in there. Make sure you're talking to the women, but listen, really listen to what they're saying and watch and observe their environment and how they're interacting with that environment. And I think if you did that without any distractions, like put your cell phones down, I get that you have emails, but you know what? Emails can be replied to the next day. Go look because you're going to retain so much from that observation, from those conversations, from that day or two that you're out there, not one hour or two hours. So you can check that box off, get out there for the full shift. So this is almost like the undercover boss type process. Yeah, but you don't have to be an under. Yes, I like that show. It's great. But you don't have to do that or be on that show to actually go make an impact. Um, I think the best cultures I've seen are the bosses that get that. And when I was at the DOT, we had a guy uh, named Jim. He was a supervisor on one of our busiest like segues of I-80 and 35. He had the best track record for safety. And I remember I had taken all those um, NSC posters when they first came out that were like infographs and I printed them all for my districts. And so that every month they could take one out and you know, kind of cover it as like a safety stand down. Sent them to him, end up like a month later coming to his site. And I walk into the break room and they're all up on the wall. And I'm like, what the heck, Jim? <laughs> and he goes, the guys wanted them all on the wall so they could reference them. And I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna argue with that. But I was hanging out there for the whole entire day and I watched how he interacted with his culture. First thing every morning, he did a PowerPoint, which I, I, I don't even have the energy to make a PowerPoint every day. <laughs> but he talked about, first thing, the hazards they were going to face. You know, what are the big events around town that could impede traffic while they were in the road? What are the weather conditions? And then he would ask them all, what do you need to be safe today? He said that to them and they would tell him stuff and he would get it to them. Or he'd tell them an update throughout the day. But I also listened to how he talked to the guys throughout the day. And he's like, hey, how's it going out there? You staying hydrated? You encountering anything I need to know about? He was so immersed in their physical and psychological safety that they, I think they were like five years accident free when I left. Mm. They just got it, right? you know, but right. they were valued by their supervisor that ran that shop. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Are, are, are you, are you finding, uh, I know we, we have our conversations, you know, uh, here and there about things that pop up. Are you finding that there's a broader network of folks out there who kind of feel the way you do? Um, yes, actually. So what I'm trying to do right now with the safety rack is there is going to be a podcast coming. What I want to do is connect the employers to some of the conversations they need to hear, right? Mm -hmm. If that employer can't get out to that and be challenged by going out to a floor for a day or two. What I want to do is bring the conversation to them and let women specifically, um, but I will have men um, come in and talk about their jobs, what the, how they got into the trades, 
and what are the psychosocial hazards they're facing? Mm. Women in trucking being one of them. Mm. You and I've had a couple of extensive conversations about that. Um, As I'm diving in and kind of doing the preliminary work on this, I'm meeting women and men that are trying to do the same things we're doing, that are facing Mm. the same Mm. frustrations we're facing as professionals that they wanting to close it up. And I'm like, This is definitely broader, but I don't think we're connecting the way we're supposed to be connecting as a group. You and I talked about this, what, last week or the week before? (laughs) Um, And so I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how do we connect everybody to make that voice heard, to get those psychosocial hazards out there and kind of, in a way, see where where it's all coming from, right? Mm. We, we do individual studies on groups like construction or trucking, but we don't do broader ones or we don't compile all that information, I think, into some bigger studies that are needed out there. Right, right, right. And I'm not ambitious enough to do that. So that's just for disclaimer, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, uh, again, uh, good trouble kind of has a way of <laughs> finding those of us who are into it. So. No, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can find yeah. the people <laughs> right. to send your way. Right, right. Well, I, I I, honestly think a lot of this is about just making the human connections because no one of us can solve everything. That's just not possible. And uh, if everything is important, nothing's important. So I think, you know, it's going to take those who have particular areas of focus. And again, your focus around PPE, for women has, it's just, it's a thing. And I think it's, it seems like it's just got all these potential, it's got potentiality. It's, it's got all these on. possibilities. If folks would open up their head and think, you know what? Yeah, when we created this shoe, we took a dude, we looked at his foot, we made a boot. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I, I honestly have seen, um, have seen some occasions where you can even make you know, this PP a little bit more stylish if it wasn't just made for men all the time, <laughs> you, you know? know. You got, go I'm go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I got the boots. Hang okay, on. okay. All right. Okay, okay. Welcome to an impromptu safety rack here. There we go. All right, so you used to have like the shrink it, pink it, right? You still have big work boots designed for women. These are Kodaks, by the way. Sure. Um, these I absolutely love. But then you have, these just came in today, by the way. Mm. These are from Xena. I'm actually wearing one of her shirts. Um, Where you've had women in these trades, engineers that have gotten sick of the big and bulky, and they've come out with more stylish shoes Mm. for women. So Mm -hmm. some of these are definitely more um, what I'm finding out there, you know, the engineer type style, the office lady that's got to go out to the factory floor. Yes. But they're also designing the work boots that need to be functional for the women out there on the construction sites, right? Sure, sure. So I wear, um, wear Juno Jones. I wear Xena. I have my Kodaks. Um, what I'm finding is there is much more variety coming out there, mm-hmm. but yeah, there you go. That that's wonderful. That's and that's really I I, uh, I was just uh, nobody just, wants to see that floor right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I I actually I saw at a uh, one of the major conferences re- here recently they had um, they had a almost a fashion show with you know I know you know and and I, and I think those. Those are the things that we really need to be doing is just getting people to think broader. It's not, again, this doesn't mean, okay, guys, don't get afraid. You'll still have boots and gloves. There'll still be plenty for you. There'll still be helmets for you. What we're trying to do is make sure that our sisters and our moms and our daughters and our aunts and, and you know, and, and in this economy, even our grandmas, some of them are still out there working. We don't want them to get hurt either. I, I don't want... You know, I don't want my daughter, uh, who actually does HVAC, <laughs> uh, and she she actually got into doing HVAC because she said that she wanted to make some man money. Because there's these occupations that make more money because there's mostly men there, but women can do the work. I think I just saw this. Oh, where did I see it? Um, I'm on so many pages reading so much every day. I think the wage gap difference for a woman in trade is we make 96 cents to the dollar of a guy. 
versus wow. I think what is the current gap like 93 cents to a dollar and that's just for Caucasian women yes um so like yes. in trades you can really close that gap and for some of these women they can make their own hours right. they get better benefits right um but along with that better pay they're still encountering the psychosocial hazards they're yes. encountering bullying on the job yes. site yes. they're encountering the sexual harassment sure um they're encountering the poor PPE, which if you're any employer listening to this, please go to the safety rack and I can help you. Yes, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you have this industry right now, right? The trades where there's a shortage of trade workers. I'm sure your daughter can talk about it in mm -hmm. her trade for mm -hmm. HVAC. And we can fill these spots with women. Yes. that want to work, that want to make an honest living, that want to have the flexible hours and make a better income, but they're going to get burnt out and they're yes. not going to feel safe. And they're going yes. to default back to their safety zone of working minimum wage when mm. they don't have to, because all the employer needs to do, all the supervisor needs to do, all the male allies on the job sites need to do is step up and make it a safer work environment and speak up and be their allies. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah. And again, let me, and I mentioned this earlier, um, all of my, uh, my male colleagues, my brothers out there who say you're allies, we need more than just allies. We need accomplices. <laughs> we need somebody who not just going to stand back and go, oh, well, I hope it's good for those women. No, to get in there and advocate with them. They, uh, I, I'll say this. I, I, Amy doesn't need me to say this because <laughs> she can speak for herself. But it's not I don't have to go in the room and speak for her. But they need to know when she speaks, I'm with her. That's, yeah. I think that's really important that, you know, you, and you have your voice, but if you need me to stand, just stand there or just be in the room or not, you know, that's what, to me, those are the types of accomplices that we need. We also need people, CEOs, uh, managers, people in power, whoever you are, that will say, look, in our organization, we're going to fix it. We're not going to just talk about this. We are going to do something about this because you can. You yeah. have the power to do it. Are you going to do something about it? If you need people like Amy's help, just call her. Yeah. Call I, her. Absolutely. As of right now, so the, the safety rack's been around for like a couple of months. And I know it's not where it needs to be. It'll grow. It'll get there. Um, a majority of my time is either spent fielding private emails of where can I find this? Mm. Or can you do a review on this? Mm -hmm. um, or, hey, how do I outfit my workers on this? I'm happy to help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um and I didn't expect it to blow up the way it has. <laughs> I didn't expect the reaction it's had. And it's caused me to be like, oh crap, I need to do more. <laughs> Where I thought I could have a year and I could be kind of low key is more of a, in my face, we need your help now. You're the subject matter expert on this. Come, come help us. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. So, so, so let's, as we're, um, as we're, you know, uh, going to wrap up our conversation here soon, if, um, so what I heard you say is, you know, uh, it's not where you'd like it to be. And, and I, I, I want to make sure that my friend Amy makes sure that she doesn't, don't go down that rabbit hole too far. What is it that manufacturers and such that are out there, what can they do to help the safety rack? What, what can folks do who are in industry, who, you know, who, if somebody's looking at this and they go like, I, I want to help that lady. How could they do that? Uh, right now, support the YouTube page. I have okay. new videos coming. I was shooting off my phone and then everything kind of exploded. And I'm like, just invested in a bunch of equipment that, sure. you know, slightly made me cry when I saw that hit the checking account. <laughs> but I'm doing it because I love to do it. Sure. I, I'm passionate about what I want to do. I'm passionate about quote, closing this gender gap of PPE support the YouTube page, support the Instagram page, and then support women in trades mm. and advocating for them. I really just want people to be allies <laughs> for women. And to speak Absolutely. up, like you said, if you're in the room, I can speak up for myself, but you know, Keisha might not be able to speak up for right. herself and right. you right. have to be her ally. That's right. That's so, right. and I think that's an important thing is that not everybody is comfortable speaking up. I'm fortunate enough. I grew up in my dad's toe shop. I grew up 
uh, around truckers and bikers. And so my dad kind of raised me to have a mouth for lack of better terms. <laughs> um, but he great. raised his daughter not to take any flag. Right. Um, I, it's right. definitely much more polished than it was in my 20s. But, <laughs> uh, um, it's important. Yeah, but I'm I'm good there, but other women aren't. Sure. Right? Sure. And sometimes I'm not either. Right. And if I'm not, trust me, if you're standing in a room, you know my the cue. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I would say, like, for the manufacturers, if there is a manufacturer that wants me to review their product, and I guess we didn't actually tell them all what the safety rack was, I review women's PPE and workwear and I give a visual perspective of it. I give a functional perspective. I take six weeks to eight weeks to test out product. Um, that way I can see how many times it's washing, how it's wearing down. Um, is it functional? Does it actually fit my body correctly? And then I do the product reviews and I try to keep them short because I don't believe in five minute videos on clothing. Sure. That would drive sure. me nuts. Sure. Um, but if you're a manufacturer and you want me to test your product, you can get a hold of me on the safety rack on my Instagram page or LinkedIn. Um, if you're an employer and you are struggling and you just want to have a conversation, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or the Instagram page or YouTube page. And I'm happy just to listen and have a conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, uh, this is just so, um, it's actually encouraging to be quite honest. There's a there's a part of me that sat for years and watched uh, not only what was going on with me, but similar to you. I you know I, I got to a got to a place where I think I could take care of myself, and but it, it I, I've become more concerned as I've had more birthdays about those folks who can't uh, who aren't in a position I should say to be able to take care of themselves, and you know that that kind of bothers me, and so that that's a part of the goal. Uh, of this podcast and the conversations that I have with people here in the U.S. And, I, you know, I, I got to shout out, you know, uh, <laughs> the folks over there's a, there's a group in Australia, you know, the folks at Flourish DX who uh, oh, have fantastic. these have these podcasts going on around the world. And they saw fit to, you know, said, hey, we want to do one in the U.S. And they asked me to do it. I'm just I'm honored, first of all, to be able to do it. Um, but it, it's important that people know that these conversations are not unique to us. But we just have a lot more room to make up. There's a lot more things that we really need to do. And we can do it. We can do it. All, you know, there are a lot of areas where the United States actually has been a leader. Uh, a lot of really positive things we've done as a country. And then there are some areas where we've been a leader that we shouldn't have been. We've not been, you know, our Constitution didn't consider women and people of color. There's all kinds of other discussions we could have that got us to where we are. But we're having a conversation now. We've got the opportunity to do a better job going forward. And Amy, people like you are going to make that difference because you just are <laughs> going to make that kind of difference, you know, make that well, thank difference. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And so are you. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're again, we're going to stay in there kind of doing our thing, you know, uh, you know, where, where we can, because it's, it, it's, it's important. So any, any uh, closing thoughts for the folks who are watching? I think anybody that's watching or, or, this is going to be a listening one too, or is it? It's watching okay. and listening. It's a little bit of uh, both, actually. <laughs> um, just be an advocate. Listen. Be a resource when you can be a resource. Um, and support those that are trying to be a resource, like David and I are, because mm -hmm. uh, we need that support. It gives us momentum. It gives us fuel. Um, it, it keeps us going at the end of the day. Um, and hopefully, uh, sometime soon, we can close the PPE gap. Absolutely. gender gap for women. Absolutely. Well, thanks uh, very much, Amy, for this, uh, this wonderful conversation. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I find myself kind of getting excited about running off and doing stuff, uh, but, but uh, we, we only have so much time. So again, thanks very much for sharing uh, about I women safety and the safety rack and just the many activities that you're involved in. As I said, I, I, uh, we're going to be involved in lots of good trouble here coming up. And, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's good to have you as a colleague and as a friend. And thanks very much for the time you've taken to be with us today. And that will bring this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast to a close. But uh, we're here each week. You can follow us also on LinkedIn or at psychhealthandsafetyusa.com. You can get every single episode 
Uh, you don't have to. I've had people ask me, do I have to wait for Fridays? Uh, you can catch it over the weekend or the next day of the week. And uh, and, and certainly look up again, my, my friends at Flourish DX appreciate their support. And uh, we will look forward to our very next conversation. And uh, who knows uh, who that conversation will be with other than me, but it'll it's bound to be a great one. So thanks very much. We'll see you on the next episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.